And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a returning guest who, the last time, we talked about German epic theater, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about today. It's Colden Lamb, everyone. John, you're <laughs> going to go to your lock me tight while oh, you'll be God. practicing 10 happy little fingers. And if you try to escape the barbed wire around the Terwilliga Institute, is electrified. Mm, yeah, that <laughs> happened to us. <laughs> the sad thing is, I think you memorized that or did you have it written out somewhere that you just... Did you just ask me if I memorized it? Yeah, I did. Did you memorize? Of course I did. Are you kidding me? Of course you did. Okay. That's really impressive, I have to say. Um, and we're here today to talk about the 1953. I'm not sure if it was a TV movie or if it was a real movie. Unclear. It was a real freaking movie. Oh, okay. It was a real movie called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. If you haven't heard of it, great, because neither have I until Colden picked it. Uh it, it, the screenplay is by Alan Scott and Dr. Seuss, <laughs> of all people. Um, yes, everyone's favorite canceled author. Oh, wait, he's canceled? I for, I don't Remember know. Remember that big old debacle? I think it was either in 2021 or 2020 where he was canceled from some school. I don't remember, but we're canceling people left and right for stupid reasons half the time. And it's like, okay, but like, did he, wait, did he do something really bad? I for- Well, we could talk about it later, but anyway, keep on okay. going with the introduction. Okay, okay. Um, uh, music is by Frederick Hollander. Lyrics by, again, Dr. Seuss. Uh, directed by Ro- Roy Roland. I can speak. And according to IMDb, a young boy dreams that he is in an imaginary world where, assisted by his family's plumber, must save other piano playing kids like himself from the dungeons of his dictatorial piano teacher who is also mind con- who also mind controls his mother that was a lot that was so a lot did you memorize um, that no <laughs> <laughs> in case you couldn't tell i can't read half the time um so before we really get started, Colden, how have you heard of this movie? Well, just like almost every single movie I've talked about on this podcast, um, just coming home from school and whatever was on TCM that I wanted to watch, I did. And of course, I, I love Dr. Seuss. I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan. Yes. So when I saw that TCM was showing Dr. Seuss's The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, I was like, oh, great. Old movies and Dr. Seuss. Let's watch it. And... It was just one of those movies, again, that I would just rewatch and rewatch and rewatch because there's so many fun details, especially in this one. So I okay, so this movie came out in 1953, but like I was seeing elements of things that would happen later, like it felt like the Twilight Zone for me in a way. Did you feel that way too? Or am I am I am I being crazy? Yes, it does a little bit feel that way. And you could tell that, that like be, this movie was very influential because it had a very big cult following 
and you could tell really a lot of elements in, yes oh yeah oh people used to you know and they go and they'd watch this movie um but there are a lot Holden of was miming elements in this film that landed in other motion pictures like and especially like in the twilight zone i have to say colden was miming smoking marijuana the, the, reefer. the reefer but then like also um when we get to which one was it oh the homoerotic dungeon ballet um <laughs> uh some of the instruments there felt like they were from how the grinch stole christmas so obviously i mean i don't know what books were out at this point of dr seuss's but like you could tell like the props and the set design and hell even uh the look of our main character uh fuck i'm blanking on it bart bart uh, bartholomew that's right the look of it, bartholomew like all feel like they're from the pages of a dr seuss book yes they the production design team obviously really did their homework on capturing the seussian mm-hmm. design of it all and it's very basic sets, but the way that the, you know, the the walls are structured and the way the mapping is all really captures the essence of Seuss. And now to answer your question about when this came out in regards to his books. Um, so this film, it was was a film, was produced by Columbia Pictures. And unfortunately, it was a big old flop. And Shocker. I, yeah, um, just people just didn't just didn't get it. And I think it's because I think one of the reasons why this film didn't do well is because Seuss was not as much of a household name as he is now. This was before Horton Hears a Who and How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Green Eggs and Ham and The Cat in the Hat. He was known for his earlier books and his political cartoons and his private snafu films, but he wasn't like the Dr. Seuss that we have today. Um, It gained a cult following when it was released on VHS in the 1990s, because um, they Columbia Pictures was just trying to capitalize on the Dr. Seuss thing. And I think audiences liked it much better because they knew who Dr. Seuss was and they knew, knew how his imagination worked. Yeah, because like, I'm looking at his stuff. This is the, really his first movie. Yeah, this is his first like big movie compared to his like earlier private snafu wartime films and prior to this he had shorts so this is his first like feature length film yes um and it's only like an hour and a half hour and 20 minutes something like that so it's not that long it watching it it felt like a hard sell because like it it's a kids movie that huh was rated pg-13 for violence alcohol use smoking and foul language what was the foul language they said did they say damn or something snipping and snopping and snooping and sneeping you can't get any dirtier than that mm, that is so i'm gonna have to bleep you out with that <laughs> you, you said a lot um but like even the alcohol use like they're just <laughs> it's it when Dr. Uh, Trewilliker, which, by the way, the names, <laughs> they are so Seussian, like Trewilliker, um, Zabladowski, Zabladowski, uh, but like the alcohol use, they don't, they just mention it. There is no, no one drinks it. Not even like, 
They he drinks pickle the juice. Vintage pickle juice is the stand-in for alcohol. Mm. No, but like they even go, you want gin? Do you want vodka? Like they say actual like beverages, but yes. like yeah, pickle juice. Why does Dr. Seuss have an obsession with weird green things? Think about it. Vintage pickle juice, Bartholomew and the Ooblek, uh, green eggs and ham. How the Grinch stole Christmas. He's green, like the 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 men in the dungeon ballet. The men in the dungeon ballet are all in green. Like he had a thing for green weird things. Because green is a weird color. And it's a fun wacky color. And of course, Dr. Seuss is the king of wacky. Yeah. But like, um, you know, green is normally like nature and things like that. And like food where there's very few items that are green. I think. (laughs) Don't make me think. Don't make me think too hard on this one. Oh, we're going to think hard about this one. There's a lot of <sighs> Freudian uh, theories of, around this movie. Well, so also, I'm not going to lie. I got a little bit of like, how do I want to word this? With Zabladowski and Bart, I got a lot of like man boy love going on vibes. Yeah, great. Okay, so it's not just me. Do you want to talk about one of the theories of this film? That it that it's Bart realizing he's gay? No. Here's the sad reality of life. Um, is that if back in the 1950s, they often associated homosexuals with pedophiles. So Dr. Terwilliker, who who is played by a f- oh my gosh, who plays Dr. Terwilliker again? Oh, hold on. I oh have gosh. it. Right. He played Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Hans Conrad? Conrad? Hans Conrad. First, let's talk about Hans Conrad. Hans Conrad. Uh, yes, he was Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Also, because of okay. this project, he did two more Dr. Seuss um, TV specials. He was the narrator for Dr. Seuss on the Loose, which included the Lorax and the, uh, what else? And Green Eggs and Ham. And he also played the Grinch on Halloween is Grinch Night. So it was because oh. of this project. He was also, my gosh, I'm s- such an adult. He, most importantly, did the Chuck Jones animated TV special of Horton Hears a Who. He was the narrator for that as well. Well, so, okay. I don't know really about Hans Conried's personal life, but, like, he's definitely playing a coded gay villain, yes? Oh, it is gay to a T. So going back to where we were before is that the the idea is is that Dr. Terwilliker is a homosexual who takes advantage of Bart. Oh, wait, no. Oh, no. no. Wait for it, wait for it, because his mother is absent and the father figure is gone. So it's easy for a pedophile to come into the house. And yes, and so it's Bart's dream of... You know, he keeps on telling the adults that, you know, Dr. Twilliker is wrong. Dr. Twilliker is wrong. But no one listens to him because he's a child. And that's why he has such daddy issues with Mr. Zabladowski. And that's why if you look at the the framing of dream stuff, the way they're seated, Bart is literally sitting on Zabladowski's lap. And they're singing the song called Dream Stuff like they were two lovers. They're snuggling. They they're, snuggle. they're like hardcore snuggling. There's one moment, I think it's the end of the, wait, I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Where was it? Dream stuff? Yeah. 
So at the end of the song, it looked like they were about to kiss. Yes. Like, like they were giving each other lovey-dovey eyes. And I was just like, what am I watching? But like, also, there is only one woman in this entire movie. Yes. That was an interesting thing that I noticed, too. Uh, Mary Healy, who played Mrs. Collins, is the yeah. only female in the movie. Also, the interesting thing is, is that there are only four characters in the movie with a, a hundred boy ensemble. And if there was a fifth character, it would be the set. Well, and then the supporting character is that one guard. Like, the guards. The you know I mean? But it mostly revolves around Bart. Bart. Bart his mother. Zabladowski. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And that's why it kind of made me feel like it was um, part Twilight Zone. Because, like, if you watch, like, the original Twilight Zone, which actually came out, like, four years after this movie, every episode of the Twilight Zone, there's really, like, five people max. Maybe every once in a while, there's, like, almost ten. But, like, it's very not a lot of people uh, on the screen. So, like, and also the design of the Institute. Yeah. The design of the Institute where he's running down the hallways. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could find, you know, uh, a Twilight Zone episode or even an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Like, <laughs> it was very cool. fascinating. But, like, I don't know if Dr. Seuss really had a hand in designing the set. Well, he must have because those designs are so Seussian. Even... The fingers that point which way to go and the lettering on up or down or this way or that way. They're very much in his style. But like I'm I'm saying I don't think he like actually designed it, but like maybe he did something like like a Guillermo del Toro or like a um uh Tim Burton where they like sketch some stuff out and they're like, do this, <laughs> figure it out. Oh, I believe that one hundred percent. Sure. So what's interesting about this movie, and I what I found on the Wikipedia page of it is that in the theatrical cut, there are eleven songs. Twelve, really, because they don't—they didn't list that one that the guy in the elevator sings about the different floors, and I was very upset about that. But in the original, quote-unquote, preview version, there's twenty songs. Yes, twenty. And I, uh, there, they did a soundtrack where they restored or they listed and put down all the numbers from the film. Um, one of them was with Mr. Zabodowski telling Bart that he didn't want to do this. Um, he wasn't interested. It's sort of like a don't drag me along song. I know Mrs. Collins had a song. It was just more of a standalone song. And Dr. Twilliker had um, another number in the style of Domi Do Duds. What was really weird about the music, though, is that sometimes it just came out of nowhere. Like, I know we're in a musical and that that is what happens but like um which one was it there was one that like bitch slapped me in the face and i was like what is happening oh uh get together weather i love that's my favorite number in the movie it's a, the song itself is nice but i'm like where did this come from it, there was no like lead up or anything you know as an actor yeah it's just like do you want this do you want this do you want a drink shall we dance come on it's time we got to yeah. get cousins get together <laughs> which which to you did it also feel like uh good morning from singing in the oh Rain? i was just about to say that because there's two men and the one lady and then they're, and they're prancing they're around around the their the little apartment complex yeah 
also there's a great God is in the detail detail in this number. Um, when Mrs. Collins is dancing on the table, the two men clap. But you'll notice that Mr. Zabla or Mr. Zabaglaus, I can't. Blah, blah, blah. Mr. Zabladowski uh -huh. claps on two and four. Ba, ba, da, da, ba, da, da, da. But Dr. T, because he's so musically inclined, he claps on one and three. Oh, so next time you watch a movie, he claps. Mr. Mr. Zabladowski claps on two and four. Ba, da, ba, da. But Dr. T claps on one and three. That's so weird. And also the. <laughs> I kind of feel bad because is Bart narcoleptic? Like when when he go <laughs> to get into well, this is, going this back to the dream. going back to the pedophile theory, Mister uh, Twerlicker is, is is assumed that because Bart falls asleep so often that he must have been drugged by Doctor T. Uh, well, what's weird is that the movie starts. We're in a dream sequence that. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh... <laughs> Would you like some explanation? Because once you know what the explanation is, you go, oh, well, they did that really lazily. So what happened was they took this to a preview audience with all okay. those 20 songs. And they did the movie without the, the Wizard of Oz thing. of it, it was all a dream. It was they literally started in the surreal world. And audiences were like, uh, what's going on? So when they went back to reshoot the movie, they added that Wizard of Oz beginning and end where it is all a dream and the people in the real world um, are something different. Informed, yeah. I think I, I like it because it helps the film with the surrealism. If they, we just did the fantasy part of the story, I agree. We would be completely lost. Honestly, though, I don't know because like, now I'm questioning, like, how long is he really asleep, like, in the real world? Because uh, the the events that happen, it's the course of a night, I think. Or it's, like, supposed to be a day, a day and a half. Yeah. But also know, like, when I, I read this somewhere, I could be wrong. So if anyone's listening, please feel free to correct me. When we actually dream, when we are asleep and we're dreaming, our dreams, although they feel... Like they last about an hour or so, only last about five seconds. Yes, yes, because there. So that's my theory on the issue. There are there have been a lot of other like Inception is a good example where you realize time is different be when you're dreaming. Um, now about that opening ballet that you see right before. So there's an opening ballet, and then we go to the real world, and mm -hmm. then we go back to the dream world. So. It's called the butterfly ballet because the men with in the, the butterfly nets all have butterfly nets. That was from a cut sequence. I believe right after the dungeon ballet, Bart runs away again into a different section of the, the dungeon or the castle. And he runs into these butterfly men who tried to catch him oh. and because they needed to cut stuff. They cut this entire ballet and that little section at the beginning is the only thing that's left which makes sense because like when we go to the the meat and potatoes of the dream of his of this movie which is that big dream sequence <clears throat> there is a moment where dr terwilliker tells mrs collins to like use the searchlights or whatever and like in the beginning of the movie there's a guy with a searchlight on his head so yeah. i was 
I was like, oh, that's fascinating that it's the same dream, which can happen. Like, I know I've had some similar dreams or like this continuation of dreams. Yeah. But also notice that at the beginning of the sequence, it doesn't really work because Bart is already wearing his happy fingers. Yes. Which he doesn't get till later on in the film. When I am so mad about the happy fingers hat, by the way. Why is that? Why is he wearing it? Well, because Dr. Seuss has a weird fascination with hats. The cat in the hat, Daisy Head Maisie, the 5,000 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins, not Bartholomew Collins, Bartholomew Cubbins, Oh, and, okay. of course, the Happy Fingers hat. Because he does take it off at points, and I'm just like, why do you put it back on? As a, as, as a character, though, not like as a Dr. Seussian world or yeah. whatever and the, his obsession with hats, but, like, I mean... You know, when he and Zabladowski fall in love during the um, in love. dream stuff. Dream yeah. stuff, dream stuff. Oh, can't you just, oh my God, that is so painful to watch every single time because like, I, it's so obviously dubbed. I was, I was obvious. re-watching it uh, last night and then I was just like, I got to go to bed and I paused it and I paused it when they were looking at each other like, like clearly they're giving each other lovey-dovey eyes and i'm like what is happening with this movie? like okay so we we did the boyfriend which you know we talked about and there wasn't really a metaphor for that when we did pennies from heaven there was you were like it's german epic theater is this just absurdism oh no do you want more fan theories i do okay so theory number one i wrote these down and i these side, are some of mine, these are some of mine researched. Side note, I love that you did all this work because it made my life easier. <laughs> I, I I tried to lighten the load. Thank you. Um, so, radical theory number 1 is that this movie is an examination of 1950s masculinity. Uh homosexuals represented by Dr. T are pedophiles who kidnap little boys not to play sports but to be feminine musicians. The homosexuals are the accomplices of the homosexuals are Latinos, which represent the guards, and the African-Americans who lead prisoners to the dungeons of hell. So homosexuals and the minorities of America are ruining the America's youth. And it is up to the typical suburban American family to stop homosexuals from taking over the country uh, through feminine piano playing and become men by doing fishing and all those things that they talked about in dream stuff. And the only thing that can stop homosexuals and the minorities is the atomic bomb. Oh, yeah. This was, uh, no, this is just one theory. But I did notice, and if if you did notice, I I love this movie. Let it be known I love this movie. But again, this is when you really think about it really deep. And I think this is a movie you can't really think deep about. But if you are going to think deep about it, if you do notice that all the guards are played by Latinx uh, people of the community. Did you notice that? And the man who does the dungeon song is African-American. So there, I was trying to find a connection between that because you usually don't see, you know, the Latinx community mm-hmm. in a film such as this. They're usually in, you know, uh, good neighbor policy films. You know what I mean? I'm also surprised that there, well, no, there was in 50s, whenever they would have bare chest, they wouldn't shave them. They would show the natural hair and everything because there's that one guard 
Um, who has an open chest, yes. Who has an open chest that is all hairy and everything. I was, and, you know, I was, I was a little turned on. What? <laughs> he He's cute. Uh, yeah. But, okay. No, like, I definitely see you that. You see it that way, though? But, like, I don't... I, I also... I want to put a theory out there that potentially Bart is gay. Because, like, the only woman in this is his mom. Come on, that dungeon ballet is so homoerotic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, by the way, do you know who was in uh, the dungeon ballet? Who? It's one of the extras. George Chakiris. Oh! You know, I was actually going to guess him because of the way that you brought it up. But, like, yeah, makes sense. He was. For, for those answer. who don't know, George Chakiris was Bernardo in the 1961 film adaptation of West Side Story. And also, he was a background dancer, not only in this film, but in White Christmas, White Christmas as well. With uh, 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 Love You Do Me Wrong, I believe it's called. The Rosemary Love Clooney You Didn't Do Right by Love me. You Didn't Do Right by Me. That's it. I just feel like this is Bart coming to terms with himself, right? Is that another well, theory? It, it could be, but then why at the end does he run outside with his all-American dog and his all-American baseball glove and you know, baseball, glove and hat, or, yeah. Well, because he never really liked playing piano to begin with. And but, like, like, if you liked playing piano, and if piano represents homosexuality because Dr. T is the ultra-homosexual, why doesn't he keep playing the piano? I mean, not all gay people like playing the piano. They, there are gay people. From a 1950s perspective. There, there, there's a thing called a sports gay. And maybe that's what he is. Maybe. Could be. Could also be that, like, he's having a sexual awakening but doesn't really fully realize it because he's 10? How old is he? He's 10. He's about 10. Yeah, okay. Because, like, I'm pretty sure you've done this where you look back in your past and you're like, oh, that that, I was attracted to that person. Okay, now it makes sense. Or whatever. Like, I know I've done that where I'm like, oh, I was a little gay boy way back when. Cool. Yeah. So it could be that is the theory, especially since Mrs. Collins, his mother, is the only female in his dream world. And she's dressed fabulously. Do you know who did her costumes? I saw it. It was because uh, the, the the only costume designer listed is Jean-Louis. Do you know what Jean-Louis designed? No. He, well, he's done many classic films, especially for Rita Hayworth, but he's his m- most popular dress that he ever created was Marilyn Monroe's happy birthday, Mr. President gown. Holy shit. Re- and remember that whole thing? Remember when some, f- I forgot her name, but some fam- famous actress bought the dress and tried to squeeze into that dress and broke it. Oh that? no, no, I don't remember that. But like, oh my God, no. Yes. But if you notice about Mrs. Collins dresses, the most fabulous thing is, is that in her first um, outfit she's in like a blue dress with like it's like a work dress but like one has an arm one doesn't yeah 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 she has dr t or she has just t cufflinks she has t cufflinks on her dress how fabulous is that but like it also got me wondering because jean louis is the only one that is credited as a costume designer so i'm just like who did well, he the was rest like of- on contract at columbia so i assume he probably did the Costumes for everybody as well. No, it, it, it specifically states for um, uh, Mary Healy. Uh, Mary Healy, thank you. That that Jean Louis designed those gowns for Mary Healy, and 
fuck off everyone else. So, because, like, you know, Dr. T is dressed flamboyantly, I will say it. <laughs> Especially at the end there, when they're getting him ready. And With his like, lavender snood and his watermelon suede. Oh my God. And and the rope. The rope. The rope that, the rope that they, just kept on going and going. <laughs> I love that number. That is so much fun. It, it wasn't though what I was expect, what I wanted though, as like the finale costume. Like the idea was there, but like I don't know. There's just something a little weird about. Like I don't know if I liked how it closed on him or something. Like I just wanted a little more over the top or more militant than. Well, that hat was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that <laughs> hat didn't even, like fit around his chin. Yeah, well, that was that. That's how you, I think that's how historically people wore it. Was also there's a interesting lyric that is in Domido Duds. He sings, "So come and dress me in the blossom of a million pink trees." Is that foreshadowing the Lorax? Maybe. I mean, like I said, <laughs> like like I said, some of the instruments used in Dungeon Ballet looked like they would later be used in How the Grinch Stole Christmas with the horn woggles or doodads or whatever they're called. Yeah, totally. Because, like, they start off playing actual instruments or, like, obviously miming. They're playing the piccolo and the trombone and everything. And then as the ballet progresses, they get more and more wacky and... The, the, the xylophone is played on a heating radiator and the drums are boxing gloves and the marimba are played with mittens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gets crazier and crazier. It's, but it's the imagination of those instruments that makes that number, I really think. What's also weird, though, is that Dr. T is only a, is obsessed with only the piano. And it's like, my guy, I know that the piano, I mean... I I played piano when I was a kid, so I was a little triggered watching this movie. <laughs> but like my my piano teachers weren't that bad; they weren't like the piano is the only instrument in the world. Ah, oh, fuck everything else. And you're like, you know why that is? Because I want the homosexual guess, lifestyle. Well, no. Guess why Ted Geisel, also known as Doctor Seuss, why do you think he made this movie? I want you to guess. Think of everything that we just talked about, and think about what you just said. Well, I mean, obviously, it's uh. It leads to the piano, the big piano in the dream sequence with the 5,000 fingers of the 500 kids when really there's only like 100, you said? Or 100? Or... Don't tell me it's a fingering thing. No, no, it's more simple. So Ted Geisel got this idea. Uh, he's, it stemmed from taking piano lessons when he was a boy from, quote, from a man who wrapped my knuckles with a pencil whenever I made a mistake. I made up my mind I would get even with that man. It took me 43 years to catch up with him. Jesus Christ. So, and to him, it was him getting back at his piano teacher. If you think about the movie, that's all it is. This little kid just getting yeah. back at this evil uh, doofus. And Dr. Seuss made the movie. It was, it was not supposed to have all these radical theories, although you can see the film that way. For Seuss, it was just an anti-bullying statement. That's all it was. Okay. No, you could you definitely get that as well. Where it's like stand up to your bully. I mean, I know I I had a wild theory about Bart being gay, but I think it's really just like find your happiness. And also like listen to kids because that's that's I the moral of the song yes. of just because we're kids. 
I used to hate that song just because of the way it's staged and he's just moping around. But if you really listen to the lyrics, they're it's very beautiful. I wrote down, is this the I Am song? It could be. I think it is. And I think it's like if we had to pinpoint where in the movie the message is, that would be it. Is it- Just because we're kids doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion or we don't have a voice. Where... This is this is after he went to Zabladowski being like, "Hey, Doctor T is going to kill you." <laughs> yeah, and Di- but it's it's very much like, and this is they're both different contemporaries, but it feels very much like a Roald Dahl story in which the children mm. are the heroes, like a Matilda or a James or a Charlie, and the adults are the idiots who are terrible, nasty creatures, like the Trunchbulls or the Twits or the witches. And what's also fascinating is that it's written very childlike. Like, it doesn't feel like Matilda, the mo- the original movie, for example, that felt like an adult wrote it uh, and, like, the kids yes. are talking like adults think. This, however, has very childlike quality. There's a... There's a br- you know why it feels like a childlike quality? Because, again, it's revenge on his piano teacher. That, and there's really no moral that bart learns now compare this to like the wizard of oz which is basically what this film is trying to almost be dorothy learns that there's no place like home trying to no No, she does but no no, i mean like this movie is definitely try is definitely copying it only because it failed to be nonsensical and stand alone in itself but it needed that framing device to work but unlike Oz or any modern film, Bart doesn't learn anything. It's just a nonsensical adventure. Um, do you think Bart needs to learn something like Dorothy in order for this film to work? I well, like I said, I think he just needs to find his happiness, where or like or like stick up to himself. Because clearly, at the beginning of the movie, after the weird ballet sequence that you just we did talk about, the butterfly ballet, Bart clearly hates playing the piano. He doesn't like it and he needs to find his voice and stick up for himself. And so I don't think that actually happens in the movie, but like, that's what should happen. <laughs> yes. But what was it? What was it? What were we talking about? I don't even remember. We were talking about so many things, but that's the thing. About, that's why I love these sort of podcasts. We just spiral and just keep on going different down different rabbit holes. So, okay. When I first watched this, I had I I was watching it and I was doing things so it was segmented and everything, and then I rewatched the beginning, and like when Bart breaks the fourth wall and talks to us, a every time it freaks me out a little bit because I'm like, why is this happening? But b he sets up the rest of the movie with that being like, oh, uh, my mom is hypnotized by Doctor Terwilliker, and like that's what happens in his dream with the hypnotic duel. I think that was literally added in just so we can, I think, you know, Columbia Pictures was scared. So they're like, we need to really scream out to the audience what's going on. And we'll do that by having Bart break the fourth wall and scream to the audience what's going on. Also, that hypnotic duet. Notice that it's the masculine uh, Mr. Zabodowski battling the feminine Dr. Twilliker. If you notice the most that... Dr. T does the way he's choreographed. It's very feminine. And uh, Mr. Zabludowski is very masculine and he's acting like he's plumbing with his choreography. This is what I wrote down for that. 
it's simple choreography that Peter Lind Hayes seems to not give a shit about, but Hans Conried sold like the camp queen he is. Yes, agreed. <laughs> like, like it's clearly just like uh, uh, Zabladowski, played by Peter Lind Hayes, is just like I'm doing choreo. I'm not a dancer. Clearly, I'm not a dancer, but I'm doing the choreo and. Well, that's what makes him masculine, right? Because he's not really doing that feminine choreography. No, I just think he didn't want to do it, like, that at too. all. But that that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I wrote so many notes and so many other things that I don't. we didn't really talk about, but, like... Mm-hmm. Let's go back. Why not? Oh, okay. Explain this to me. Okay, so Bart hires Zabladowski to not put the sinks in the Institute. Don't worry about it, everyone. I have a point with this. So he's like, hey, I'm going to steal money because earlier in the film, Dr. Terwilliker basically admits to being the world's worst villain or like not, uh, he admits to being I'm the a villain. villain. A loose And I stole the money and I did this and he's shoveling money into a shoot, into a safe and everything. And so Bart goes to steal the money, but then he writes an IOU note. Like why, why would you do that's that? Funny. That's, that's funny. Ha ha. It's funny. <laughs> not, not funny. Ho ho. Funny. Ha ha. I mean, there's mom- there's a lot of moments in this movie that I'm just very confused about. Well, I don't know if confused. It's just like a, a lot of like, why would you do that? Like the the all of a sudden the air thing. Oh, the air fix. The air yeah. fix. That they- it's the Deus Ex Machina of the whole thing. And then they make a make a noise fix, and you're like, what? Yeah, it's very uh, Gerald McBoing Boing, which is another Doctor Seuss property that he worked on. Oh, so my last question that I wrote down, it, what, and this is literally what I wrote. Fuck, another one where we question what is what was real. Jason's going to be so pissed. So Jason Kerr, other guest bestie of the pod and everything, usually picks movies like this where it's a dream sequence or there's a quest or it's an adventure film and everything and it's based around The Wizard of Oz. So Jason, if you're listening to this episode, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Colden well, Pitted. I like films like that. It makes you question. It's, it's very much like Twilight Zone. It makes you question your own sanity. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the movie, we're back in reality. His mom looks fabulous, and then he's talking with Zabladowski, maybe hitting on him. I don't know. And then they talk about how he injured his thumb because in the earlier in the film, they do like a blood pact. Yeah, they prick their thumbs and they. Put them together. Not very COVID friendly, but that's not, their blood pack. Not pack. friendly at all, because that's no. But then, like in the real world, we see that he's still wearing the bandage, and Zabladowski has a bandage, and I'm just like, okay, so did it happen? Like, did <laughs> where Doctor Seuss? I have so many questions. Let's get the Ouija board out because they didn't justify it earlier. Correct. Correct. It's and it's supposed to be left up to the imagination. Weird. Whether this happened or not, if it was just a coincidence that they both pricked their thumbs, you know what I mean? And then Zabladowski asks uh, Bart to go on a date with him to go fishing. Also, you'll notice at the end and at the beginning, in the corner of the piano, there there is a picture of two men with beards. And it's... and it's See, I, I also saw the shadows. Well, it's going to be coming with the uh, the bearded men on roller skates. And then there's also the metronome right above. 
Yep, the that, metronome on top of the bed. Of uh-huh. Uh huh. So it, little tiny clues here and there makes you question. Yes, it's everything that we've talked about. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into sharp and flat? Sure. Uh, my second radical theory. Okay. This is so, you, no wait wait. This is your theory though. This is not this one is, that you found it's a, online. It's a theory that I heard of that I expanded on. Okay. Okay. Um. So. Because Dr. Seuss was so heavily involved in the war, I think that he was writing post-war fears and the fears of the Korean War at the time into this one movie. So it's like World War II shock. So Dr. T is a mad musical Hitler, a bully who is actually just a silly flop. His institute, the Twilliker Institute, is his Auschwitz. The scene where the boys come off the buses and have their items taken away is very similar to a scene that would happen in Schindler's List, where you see all the trunks, all the different um, people from the shtetls, all their items are taken out and are all differently categorized. Same thing happens when the boys come off the bus and all their baseballs and all their toys and gadgets are taken off. And then they're given as well a uniform, the hat. And, And given a uniform, they're sign of a of a juden symbol uh-huh. um it's up to the all-american boy to stop european brainwashing from taking over american youth and the only way to stop this mad hitler is to use the atomic bomb yay that is a theory it holds that's water. the thing about fairy tales right it's that depending on you know the historical context of the fairy tale when it was written and when it takes place and what's it about people can derive different thoughts and ideas from it. Because, like, when Zabladowski says that um, the music fix or sound fix or whatever they actually call... I don't know if they actually give it a name, but, like, whatever that is that they created, he's like, it's unstable, it's atomic, which Bart, like, loses his shit, be like, atomic? Whatever, I'm still going to use it. But it got me thinking about, like, Hiroshima and everything because that's mm-hmm. like the first atom bomb that happened and that was seven eight years prior to this movie so people are still probably in shock about that and everything and I think this theory holds water <laughs> that you just said you like this one the best I still think that my the theory I don't like the pedophile theory it's one that's been floating around about this movie about <sighs> pedophilia but i think my theory about um homosexuals and minorities of america are taking over boys youth that's the Mm. theory that i'm holding ground to but the world war ii one does make sense as well too right yeah because like um barbed wire around the twilight institute is electrified electrified the they're taking specific items out of their suitcases which I'm surprised that they didn't just dump everything out of the suitcase and give them the empty box, yeah. basically. And like the idea that Dr. Twilliker is a hypnotist the same way that Hitler brainwashed uh, German youths. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Colton, do you have anything anything else you would like to, any other theories bo- or anything else you want to mention before we get into Sharp and Flat? Yeah, do you think that this could work as a stage property? Because Seuss does work on stage, as evidenced by How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical, mm-hmm. Seussical, um, 
but do you think that this movie could work on stage or is it so heavily dated in the 50s and since there is no big message that it would not translate well to the stage see what i liked about the movie is that and what we said earlier that the set piece is a character and so you get a lot of the Susian vibes with it with the finger the hands and everything so i don't know if you could capture i mean yes they could capture it but like it it'll feel weird because like you know he gets lost in it in the in the maze of the institute and that's something that i appreciated because like i mean he knows how to get to his mom's room but like he forgets or like he gets lost and there's some other like great moments also susie and where it's like he goes up that ladder that like curves or like the fingers are just pointing in directions randomly or like or even that um that one door that goes up and down that he sits in the hands and like that's fun i don't know how they would do that on stage but who knows the only thing though that i would change if for the stage version is that instead of it being all boys at the end that it's just everybody it's just children it's just children in general yes yeah yeah and then maybe like i don't know also casting if they're if we're gonna have the dungeon ballet maybe cast as well dancers all genders you know yeah i think that would be a great idea but like the emphasis is that the mom is really the only female character that has lines but like all the rest of them are male or male presenting i should say yeah that's that's my two cents what about you well I think if we were to do this, I think it would be great if those songs that were cut from the film could be brought back in for the stage property. And then you can get an additional writer like um, a Styles or Drew or Janine Tesori to put in additional music where it is needed. And then maybe help to clean up the story a bit because the middle of the movie I found, I found which was a flat for me, which we'll get to, just drags mm-hmm. with him trying to get money from the safe mm-hmm. and them talking about Pazula's at just anything, all the scenes with Mr. Zabladowski, they just slowed down the pace of the film. And I wanted to see more of the act. I just want to see more of the castle. I want to see, you know, Bart running away from the guards and all I'm, those things. That moment though, Dr. and why he's so tyrannical and all that stuff. That moment though, when he's trying to steal the key, that was a really great, like, okay, this is your, it felt a little too long, but like it also felt very like um, I was excited energy where it's like, OK, you got this. You can climb up that that headboard and everything. So but the build up to that with, well, I make this much in Pazuzu. Yeah. Just like the build up to that chase sequence. I'm like, come on. I think we're both saying the same thing. It could work. It just needs a lot of help and needs all hands on deck for this one. Yeah. Like maybe get get a hand if they were gonna do it, maybe they get the hands on the script of the original preview oh, yes, version. You no, know, yes. And I think this script was rewritten a lot. Yeah. Because I think the original one was supposed to be like three hours or something. So And yeah. they cut it they cut it basically in half. Yeah. Cause like that's the and other so thing. Much, too. No, so much, but the original script, it kept on getting re retweaked and retweaked to get it 
the timing mm. down. So a lot was cut. So I would love to see what the original version Dr. Seuss had in mind for it. Because that's the other thing too. Like it is an hour and a half. You need to like beef it up a little bit. Maybe yeah. go to like and two there, hours. There is, there's materials that can help beef it up. Yeah. All right. Let's get into Strap and Flat, shall we? Sure. There. Now you have to use the sound effect. Sharp. Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. What would you like to start with? I'm sharp. Sharps? Great. You, why don't you go first with your sharps? Uh, because I have a lot more sharps than flats. Okay. Um, Frederick Hollander's music, I just thought, was gorgeous in this film. Yes. Especially the music he wrote for the Dungeon Ballet. And uh, when I, my favorite is when Bart officially goes into the dream sequence. And he's at the piano. And you just hear this beautiful harmonic and bitonal piano playing that's just Ooh. wacky phrasing very fast but his music throughout the entire thing is just absolutely stunning okay hans conried of course is a great sharp i think he makes the movie he really does he's he's a villain but he's very silly at the same time so he's very enjoyable and that there's sometimes you're like oh dr t i wish you did get to control the world with your piano play you're so you're so funny he's just like one yas queen away from like being a pride parade i feel like Yes. Um, I thought the set and costume designs were a great sharp. And I love, there were so so many fun details. Like one of my favorites is Dr. T in his study. He has volumes of books on Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do. Oh, I didn't even notice that. like different volumes just on the different notes. I just thought that was a great detail. Uh, What else you got? Uh, The Dungeon Ballet. That was a great sharp. Uh, I don't know who the choreographer was, but he also did... Silk Stockings and Carmen Jones, and he studied with Balanchine. And oh, Carmen Jones! Good. Yes, we all love Carmen Jones. I thought that that was fabulous. And and my final sharp is Mrs. Collins' fabulous dresses designed by Jean Louis. Jean Louis. I love her green purple dress that she wears during Get Together in a majority of the film. And so she has like a beautiful blue schmock she wears at near the end. Oh, mm-hmm. so um. Eugene Loring is the choreographer for this movie. Just wanted to put that name out yes. there. And did, did you job. know that uh, the dancers had to wake up early in the morning and get sprayed down with all that green stuff? Oh, this is a question I wanted to ask you. Did you yeah. feel like this movie was meant to be in black and white? No. It okay. had to be in color. It had to be. Well, because when, when we got to the dungeon ballet and they're all painted green and everything, I was like, hmm. Was this supposed to be in black and white? It was just a thought because there, because it's weird. Like this time period where it's post war, World War II, we're still like trying to be financially savvy with things. So like there's some oh, movies- because I think because Columbia Pictures thought they would have another Wizard of Oz that it had to be in Technicolor. Okay, I see you. I see you. So, um, my sharps, I agree a thousand percent with you on Jean-Louis' designs for Mary Healy and the set design. Um, I, this is a, this is a, a campy sharp. I wrote down the inconsistencies in wardrobe and styling. So, like, for example, in the dressing song, Do Me Do Duds, 
um, they're getting him ready. And so like the hat is off kilter in one shot, but then it's straight on in another shot. And like everything else is, a, is, ha- well, has I don't blame him. Cause I bet you that hat just continually just did the, but like the entire, I loved that. I love like even Bart, when he puts on his thing, happy fingers hat, like his hair is different in the different shots. So I was just like, yes, I mean, I guess it. I guess we could argue that it works on the dreamlike vibes of it, but uh, it was just laziness. But again, they didn't have the technology or the film, yeah. you know, advancedness we have today, where we can keep everything in perfect shape and all that nonsense. There was probably no like supervisor or script supervisor or something on set where they're like, no, 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 fix the hair. The one lock is out of place. I also sharped the the twins with one beard. I thought that was very on the roller skates. Isn't that fun? I also sharped the roller skate duel that happened between yes. Zabladowski and the twins. Unfortunately, I, I when I was rewatching it, I got kind of ruined because obviously you could tell when um, the actor who's playing Mr. Zabladowski is obviously doing the roller skating, and then they cut to a shot that's far away that you could tell it's a stunt double. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started to ruin it for me. But the choreography is great still for that. And to uh, do it all the roller skates. Um, I also sharped that this is a little detail. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but Zabladowski doesn't know Mrs. Collins' name in the dream. Her first name. Oh, my God. That is a brilliant detail. Yeah. Because so obviously... He, he in the real world he's respectful they're both respectful of each other calling mr mrs last name um but i feel like zabladowski would know mrs collins's name in the real world yeah but he asks bart what's what's mrs collins what's your mom's name again or whatever and i was like that is so genius well, also uh, dr t calls her mrs collins yes I viewed this that this is obviously through the eyes of Bart. So Bart only hears the adults go, oh, Mr. Lamb. Oh, I'm Mr. Riley. Blah, 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 blah. Because that's how we're grown up, especially in school. It's always Mr. or Mrs. this, this, or that. We never and, call and adults even, by their first name. And even in the 50s, this was like politeness. This was, you know, like nowadays, I, I mean... My college professors we used for we were on a first name basis, so it wasn't professor whatever last your last name was. Um, and my last sharp is to the guard who sings the different floors going on the dungeon. He mentioned something about like ladies lingerie or something, and I went yes. I'm I was waiting for the joke, and you got it. Great, nightmare inducing, nightmare inducing that guy. Woo, yeah. But like, if that and if that is the actor that sang it kudos great voice and apparently there was another floor that he sang that got cut which has some very scary lyrics oh scary lyrics got it um so every once in a while in this section i have what i like to call a natural it's neither a sharp nor a flat but i want to expand on it and i've mentioned this before and to me my natural is the childlike nature of the movie where like I don't think they pushed it far enough, but I also really appreciated a lot of the, uh, uh, I don't want to say absurd, the fantastical nature of like all the Susian elements. But I feel like they could have gone further with it. 
And they probably could have had this film not been butchered by the studio. Ah, uh, studio system. But like, that's why it's a natural. Because like, I like th- in this case, I l- both liked and didn't like it. Because there are moments. Because like, especially when he breaks the fourth wall too and talks to us, I was like, this is weird. And it could have been a voiceover. I feel like, but I don't. I don't know. It worked with a voiceover. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um. Okay. Let's get to. Unless, do you have a natural? And not realized it. <laughs> no, not at the present time. No. Okay. Uh, let's get to flats then. Dream stop. Dream stop. I hate that song. The way it's staged. That song in general. We were do- we were doing so well. With the Bart was running away from the guards. We were getting into the dream world, and then the tires come to a screeching halt, and we have to go fishing, and listening to poor Mister Zabladowski being uh dubbed and going dream stuff dream stuff funny business here this dream stuff like the movie had such good whenever i watch it rewatch it i always skip over that i'm like come on let's go Mm -hmm. and then the energy picks up again because when we go to dr t's study we have the hypnotic duet and the the turtle tears and the chicken papaya and the schnapps and the schnips and the cigar things Oh, that's another strap I want to uh, also mention. The, I mean, it's it's encompassing in the set design of it, but like when he would bring it, open something and like uh, like tears of alcohol in drink and glasses already were there, or like he'd open up something else and there'd be all food. He pulled something out of a wall, like a like a drawer out of a wall or something, and it like that sequence was amazing. <laughs> Sharp, sharp I want that in my house. That's fabulous, right? I want hidden compartments all over my apartment. Um, uh, what else? What other flats do you have? I mean, that's about it. Dream stuff in the dubbing. So that was my my big okay. beef. Oh, okay. You kind of mentioned this earlier too, and I'm going to now put it to words in flat. It's a little slow at points. Like they they pulled the emergency brake. It felt like yeah. It's it's just whenever Mister Zabladowski. All those Zabladowski scenes in the plumber's basement, you might say. That's when it comes to a screeching halt. Like when we first meet him in the dream and he's talking about the the sinks and everything. I mean, we're 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 riding the break. It doesn't feel like it totally slows down because hey, exposition, but it slows down a little bit. But then the rest of the scenes, yeah, it's all of a sudden, like he Bart is is miming fishing out of nowhere. Like what? Um, okay, I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. Some of the moments when they break out into songs, I'm flatting it. Um, the one specifically is the hypnotic duel, the get together weather and dressing song. They just come out of nowhere. That's why I'm flatting it. It's not like I didn't like those songs. It's that. There was, was no transition from scene into song that was very abrupt. Yes, yes. Agre- and again, I agree with you on that part, that's. I guess that would, if that was a neutral for me, that would be it. Because also, it was at a time. This was before you know the Sondheim takeover, or even you know West Side Story, where we haven't we know how to hop onto the train of transitioning from scene to song. That or the screenplay writers just didn't know how to insert the songs in. And they were just like, uh, 
There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also flatting that Mrs. Collins is the only woman in the movie. Apparently no other women exist. They must be gay. Happy fingers. Right, but like they could have easily <laughs> had it so that when the kids all arrived at the end that there was at least another woman checking them That's in. That's why the theory about the pedophiles is is that because they're uh, all boys. boys. I didn't like Dr. Trulicker's concert costume, the ending one. It wasn't- I love his purple robe with the black- I feel like I wanted more, more, just more. Give me more. Because this is supposed to be the whole song. The whole song was about how he wanted more things on his suit. Right. And then like, this is the big climactic moment where he's going to finally hear his magnum opus and uh, 10 happy little fingers. Yes. Uh, And then my last flat is for Bart wearing that stupid hat for far too long. (laughs) <laughs> like running around the institute why are you still wearing it you don't have to wear it at that point god damn it um would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist come on it's time we got together because let's get together weather and to get together weather together is just what we got to get is this in your book do you have it in your <laughs> one marvelous day for snippity snoopity snoopity snooping <laughs> no i i will say though if i ever I wish more professional theaters did Susicle. Um, I just think that because Susicle has been used and abused by so many community and high school theaters that it's sort of barred from the professional stage. Uh, but I, I vowed that if I ever audition for Susicle, I will sing, uh, come on and dress me, dress me, dress me in my finest today. Because in case you haven't heard, today is Domi Do Day. I would love to sing that song for, an, for a Susicle audition. But your but for your life's playlist, go back to the question. Life's is, playlist is get together weather. I'm gonna agree with you. It was it was fun. I felt like and like I said, it's good morning basically. So Yeah, it's a good morning. And like the other ones were it's not to not to poo-poo the other one, the other songs. It's just that I think I need the movie. Or I need it in context. I can't take it out of context, really. Yeah. Hooray for us. Hooray for us. Hooray for us. Hooray for <laughs> And hooray for us, Colden. We made it to the end of the episode. Woo! Colden, what do you have to plug or promote? Nothing at the current time. Just, I'm just working as an actor in the Southern California area of town. And I just got a couple of shows coming up in the summer. So that nothing too exciting to write home about. Uh, where can the good people find you and find out about any other gigs or performances that you have in the future? You could just follow me on Instagram, which is Colden Lamb, my name, or you can type in my name with a dot com at the end. Colden, if you ever start a TikTok, I feel like you need to do these songs. Hi, guys. So today <laughs> we're from the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, which is like a really cult underrated movie. So. <laughs> and if you want Colden to, to, uh, perform what is that song called again? Dressing song, Domi Do Duds. Uh, you can badger me, and so I can badger him at. But uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail dot com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Have you? Okay, call to action to the listeners. If you made it this far, have you heard of this movie before this episode? Because I would like to. I would love to know your story behind it. Because 
cold and it was like let's do this movie and it wasn't what i was originally expecting when you said the five thousand fingers of dr t i thought literally this person had five thousand fingers not i was like what is this What's going speaking to- of which they hated that uh, the columbia pictures when they re-released the, the movie uh-huh. people were very confused by the name of the film so they changed the title for its 1958 release and they called it crazy music weird no yes no i would rather the five thousand fingers of dr t because at least they justify it in the movie you know what i mean there's that whole math where they're like there's 500 kids coming they're gonna have five thousand fingers playing my magnum opus and i was like oh i get you i see you now title of movie and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about Cats Don't Dance, a 90s animated movie. And Colden, thank you so much for stopping by again today and confusing me with this movie. And bye for now, everyone. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.